Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Say, say, I think it's the rolling hip-hop. Say, Jay Rolls is the rolling hip-hop. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Created for Marketers by Marketers podcast. My name is Billy Louisu, and we've been working hard to find marketing topics which will help you level up your skills, and that will blow your mind. Today is episode 13, and the topic we'll be covering is the rise of marketplaces. We'll be discussing why they exist, who their customers are, and how do you stay innovative in what is now becoming a crowded market. My guest for today is David Bryce. David is the general manager and executive of the customer group at Envato. Envato is a bootstrapped 15-year-old Melbourne-based 500-person tech company that's best known for its digital goods marketplaces and subscription services. The company is focused on providing everything you need to get creative projects done. It has generated almost US $1 billion of earnings for its community of authors, and the Theme Forest Marketplace remains the top destination for premium WordPress themes. David, how are you today, mate? Thanks for having me. Uh, very well, very well. Good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Mate, I've, uh, I've been wanting to discuss marketplaces for quite some time, so thank you for taking your, uh, your afternoon off for an hour out of your day to join me. No problem at all. So, mate, before we get stuck into some of the juicy questions, I want to ask you a simple question around marketers and music. So what music do you listen to when you work or what is your favourite album? Uh, well, I'm a fan of the 90s, I must admit, uh, and uh, the album I'm nominating is uh, Liquid Skin by Gomez, uh, an English band for anyone that's a fan of, of them and uh, appreciate Liquid Skin for its variety of instrumentals. And uh, it's actually, Gomez is one of those interesting bands where they've got three different vocalists. Um, all right. All males, and uh, they, sh- they mix and match in that album. It's quite... Uh, Quite a dynamic range. It's quite good. That's cool. And I um, I usually know a lot. I think I pride myself in knowing a lot about music. I don't know them, so I'm going to have to check it out. Um, but uh, th- having three vocalists is is interesting. I know there's a band that I really like called um called The Roots, which also have got mm-hmm. three vocalists and a whole great, great suite of instruments. And it's yeah, it's. Have you seen these guys live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys yeah. have played in Melbourne. Yeah. Was that uh, at um, at a small venue or was it a big venue? Uh, oh, I'm trying to picture. I think it was one of the clubs down in the city, so it was maybe oh, I don't know, maybe a 500 person venue. Yeah, that'd be the that'd be the best place to see them. Yeah, amazing. Well, mate, look, we're we're t- discussing today the rise of marketplaces and uh, having you on here, you know, having spent quite some time at Envato, I want you to give me a brief introduction of yourself and what do you do and, and why this topic you think is fitting for you? Yeah, so uh, I'm the general manager of uh, Customer Group, um, which is a team of 150 plus people um, that are responsible for our main shop fronts and um, look after the acquisition side, the conversion and the retention of um, what are around to 2 million customers, unique customers a year. Um, the group itself is comprised of six major functions. So a um, big part of our responsibility is the marketing side of things, both paid and organic. Um, we also have got 
product design, engineering, analytics, and customer success uh, functions as well. So it's a pretty uh, full stack team and yeah, focused very much on that, the shop front side of things. We have a, another group in the business called the content group uh, and they look after all of the acquisition from the, the seller side of things. Cool. So how long have you been there? Uh, lo and behold, seven years today. So how are we? That's yeah, there it is. A long time in really... today's market. In today's market. <laughs> it is. Um, look, I joined the company when we were sort of 40 or 50 staff. Uh, I was brought on uh, as a, a person who had experience in consulting and a bit of um, you know, breadth, breadth of experience in business. And at that time, we were just growing so quickly. Um, we were going well north of 200% growth year on year and hiring like crazy. We, we may have, I think we would have doubled headcount within the six months that I was, first six months I was there. So, wow. Um, what was it like being on a rocket ship like that? Cause there's a lot of, uh, you know, Envato is one of those Australian um, entrepreneur success stories that you hear about. Um, that's that, that, you know, doubled in size year on year and has tremendous growth and being part of a, a rocket ship like that, I'm sure was pretty exciting yeah it's really interesting it was a great environment and still is a great environment but the um it's still all privately held it's it's held by a family and they've been with the business from from day dot uh, near on 15 years ago and it has that family vibe my interactions have been always very close with with the family and with the the founders and and we've um just had this amazing journey really um launching uh, the marketplaces that have become quite successful in their own rights. They're in their, each of their, I guess you'd call them niches, global niches and digital goods. Um, they're big names. And uh, we've since gone on to launch subscription services. I've run education businesses, hosting businesses, um, a whole you know, range of things and opportunities have been available inside a business that's that's just really expanded so quickly um, the big shift for us has been to um, we've acquired a business in mexico and uh, we now have a, quite a significant operation in mexico as well as in melbourne wow that's a it's a great place to go to on vacation so tying that into a business trip would be fun um, i think you know culture is so important so being family owned still you know being being that super tight from the top down is is such an important path of innovation and growth. So I want you to educate our audience because a lot of people listening may be like, you know, what is a marketplace or I use Facebook marketplaces, you know, is it the same thing? So can you just give me your simplest term? Like what is an online marketplace? Yeah, I'll get a little bit technical, but um, in simple terms, um, think of a, in an online marketplace as a website or a platform that's acting as an intermediary between sellers and buyers. So um, the, the principle of it is that by aggregating lots of sellers onto one, in one location, um, the buyers then have, are afforded more variety and more choice and more, uh, more interactions with those sellers as well so that they get better deals and they get better outcomes for themselves. Um, the sellers, because the platform's offering them a service, will typically then um, there'll be a fee paid to the uh, platform for marketing or for operating the payment gateways on their behalf. 
So it takes some of the costs away from the sellers um, rather than try and do those things as an individual. You then you engage with the platform that then aggregates and, and does that on your behalf. Um, but the degree of control that the seller will have over the experience that's offered to their customer will vary depending on the marketplace um, and be quite dependent, I guess, on which industry in which they operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've all interacted with with marketplaces in some fashion and you bring a you bring a proposition to your sellers, which is eyeballs, which is customers, right? You've got this reputable uh, Envato brand, which people go to to find, as we said, digital assets, or you can go into a little bit more detail on that for us later. And you take just a, a snip of the the payment fee to make sure you drive that relationship between buyers and sellers. So, give me some examples of other marketplaces which exist that you're familiar with or that you are inspired by. Yeah, look, the, the classic has to be eBay. Um, now, that's not a digital goods marketplace. It's a physical goods marketplace. And a lot of the examples um, of the bigger marketplaces that are around are in physical goods. Um, mm-hmm. But eBay is your, your classic. And the reason it's uh, truly a marketplace is that everything it sets out to do is try to achieve a, a transaction that's between buyer and seller. So you know when you're on the eBay side that you're, as a buyer, that you are interacting very directly with the sell side. Mm. Um, and eBay, for its its participation, tries to stay out of that transaction as much as it possibly can. Um, Amazon, particularly early on, was a very classic kind of transactional model as well, and that, that had a strong marketplace. But increasingly, they're starting to become more and more involved in the way the transaction happens and acting as an intermediary, like a, a functional intermediary in in terms of the transaction so they have they might have their own supply side as you know with amazon Mm -hmm. Um, they've got their own procurement features now and they're starting to get more disruptive in their own markets Um, airbnb and uber are also good examples Um, but again they're starting to err more towards a situation where the intermediary is really actually in control of the situation as opposed to what I define as a true marketplace like the eBay style. Mm, It's more about using your goods (laughs) to service their customers. Yeah, correct. Um, You know, it's a sharing economy, which is a very interesting concept. And I think kind of does, you're right, has some form of marketplace, but your example of eBay, you know, they are so good at driving transactions for their sellers. They are exceptionally good. I've, been in lockdown in Melbourne and I can't help but browse on eBay every now and then, but I've haven't, I've just been receiving offers, right? So they get their sellers or their, sorry, their, their sellers to promote special offers to people who may be watching or have been browsing certain products and they send it straight to your inbox. They load you via the app, you know, you get 35% off for the next two days if you buy now. And even if you're not interested in that product, you consider it. <laughs> it definitely gets you into that consideration <laughs> phase of like, do I really need that? Um, and uh, you're in lockdown. So of course you're so simple to buy. You buy with PayPal, one click, you're done. So yeah, eBay are um, increasingly merchandising their shop front. So mm-hmm. one trend that you'll notice on eBay, if you, if you go and use a time machine, you can go back and see the eBay shop front from maybe five years ago and you'll see very little merchandising activity. Uh, now, when you hit the, the actual eBay shop front, you're looking at 
item pages, content pages, category pages that are all have a lot of here's twenty percent off, here's thirty five percent off, here's this this week's deal. Mm, you're they right. do create that perception of the immediacy of, of acquiring and buying and um, yeah, it's very akin to what you're describing in terms of that the urgency as a buyer that you're finding like, oh, I've got I've got two days until I need to to make sure that I've got this or I, I miss out on the opportunity. That's yeah. exactly what they're trying to set you up for. Big time fear, like FOMO kicks in. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to miss out. So the difference between, you know, you, you mentioned some of these brands and now Envato, you get your product immediately, right? You are a true digital marketplace. Yeah, so we're a, a digital good, uh, which means that these items are sitting on servers and we can distribute them to you immediately rather than a physical good, obviously we'll sit in the warehouse or require logistics to be able to actually move it. All we're talking about is actually upload and download behavior online. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, the transactional component is uh, it's very low cost. Um, and there's some interesting dynamics in a, in a true digital good marketplace in that an item, a digital asset that's uploaded to us, say that's a video, that video gets uploaded as a digital file and then that specific file can be replicated and sold many times, but it's only been stored as one item on our servers. So the actual cost of distribution for a digital good is very, very low, which makes it quite, um, quite a scalable uh, marketplace Absolutely. in general. Absolutely. No warehousing, no distribution as opposed to apart from, uh, the simple post-purchase process, which is, you know, acknowledge the purchase, um, send an email, notifying that the transaction's gone through. And well, in that same email, here's your good, right? It's actually yep. a really slick, slick process. Um, I've, I've interacted and bought a few things off Envato and it's, and it's been really, um, it's been really seamless. And I think the thing that for me, which was really useful was the support post that. So we can dive into that as well. Cause I think, with uh, digital good that you're going to be accessing in that real time nature. The first thing you think about now is how do I use it? Um, how do I access it? And I yeah, think that's you know, where you guys have spent a lot of your time optimizing your processes. So tell me about the role Envato plays as a marketplace. Like what products and categories do you play in? Yeah. So we, we operate across quite a broad spectrum of digital goods and that's been a deliberate part of our strategy. I think you would consider us to be the broadest digital goods provider globally. Uh, our business has really grown out of the themes and code space. And what we are still best known for is ThemeForest, which is the world's largest marketplace for premium WordPress themes and everything associated with that WordPress space. Uh, and then code is our, another marketplace we've launched alongside called Code Canyon and has a lot of the ancillary code PHP components that you use in creating websites. Um, so that's, that's our universe of what we describe as complex items. And mm. then we have a, another group of marketplaces and subscription services that are more based around what can be described as stock items or media items. So they are things like video, audio, so music, sound effects, graphics, which should be vectors and motion graphics, Mm. and your stock photos, so typical uh, stock, photo stock photography that you see online. That's so cool. we, we sell those types of products 
both through a marketplace model, so individual purchase marketplace model, and we also have those under a subscription service called Envato Elements. Mm. They the, do you see crossover in, in customers, the same customer, different customer? You do see it, it comes down to the needs of that customer. So if mm. you are a high demand customer, if you're a small agency, if you're running your own business, and you're regularly going back and, and using these items for a variety of different things that you're trying to achieve, then you're more likely to, to want to be on the su subscription service. It would just end up being a lower cost outcome for you. Mm. If you're looking for just the odd item or one specific thing, um, typically depending on the price of the item, uh, it'll be preferential to, to go and just do a single purchase. Yeah, the subscription service makes you that one-stop shop, though. You can get your skin for your website. You can get any of your um, your uh, your marketing material that you can use through your videos and your audio files. If I'm setting up a podcast, all that sort of stuff, it's it's super simple. Um, so having that said, then you've got you know a subscription the Invado the subscription model. You you can go online. I can purchase your goods. I can sell through your sites. What is uh, you're not a typical e-commerce company, right? You've, you have that huge support network as well that you need to provide to both the B2B and B2C arm of your business. What is the makeup of your team? How do you structure a team to do this successfully and meet that demand that we were talking about before? So we have another, we have other businesses. So we have a, uh, a business called studio, which is actually a service side freelance service side business where we enable freelancers to connect with customers that are looking for support um, bit, a bit beyond your typical support say hey I need a refund or mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure what I've quite purchased here more like I know what I've bought and I need it changed but I'm I either can't I'm not willing to put the effort in to do it myself or I believe that someone else would get a better outcome by changing it for me got it um, we have our own freelance marketplace there What's that called? Studio. Studio, yeah. Mate, do you know how many times I've thought to myself, God, I want to update this this website theme, but I really just can't be bothered. Like, could I just find someone else to do that for me? Uh, I didn't know you had that service, but thank you. <laughs> you my transaction. Well, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's a that's a really it's a premium service product. Um, it's designed pretty much with a focus of um, servicing customers who are knowledgeable in the WordPress space, but uh, just want to find someone who's just faster or it makes it easier for them to get the outcome they're after. Uh, we then have a, quite a large customer success team um, and they are supporting that transactional component. So talking through with customers when they've purchased, potentially purchased something that isn't necessarily what they're after or they might need more support for. The, with the marketplace model, so with our markets, um, on the complex end of those markets, so for themes and code, you're actually encouraged to go and seek support from the seller themselves. So the, a lot of our, we call them authors, a lot of our authors will have their own um, customer success arm to what they do, and they will have the ability to service tickets and they will give you information about how to upgrade your, your theme or to provide security updates, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that customer success is so important because, um, like I said, that example of where I I bought um, a product and I and I think I was just trying to fumbling around with it. Like I work in tech, so I thought I was pretty savvy and, and I knew what to do. And I think I reached out to someone within within you know five minutes. I had a response and it was implemented on the site within within twenty minutes. Um, it was extremely extremely useful. Um, do you, within your organization then there's obviously a heavily heavy reliance on innovation and product development. Um, I guess the interesting thing here is you've, you've articulated the two delineate the delineation between two different types of customers, right? You've got your, your customer who's your uh, buyer, so to speak, who's buying these themes and then your sellers, um, if I'm a business owner and I want to set up a store on Envato, is it exclusive to Envato or can I, can I, you know, pimp myself out and sell across multiple <laughs> platforms? Like what's the process? Uh, so you have a choice effectively. Um, you can be a non-exclusive author. You can be an exclusive author. Your cut of the transactions um, increases as you um, become uh, exclusive and as you continue to generate more uh, sales, your the level of your exclusivity will actually increase and your share will continue to increase as you um, generate more and more sales across the platform. So there's an incentive there to continue to participate on the platform once you've become exclusive. Uh, on the uh, subscription service, it's actually just a, a straight out 50-50 split. So okay. uh, it, it doesn't matter whether you're non-exclusive or exclusive. The the market in terms of the sell side here has kind of evolved so that in that stock end of the market, it's very typical that uh, sellers will have their items on multiple platforms. That's just yep. par for course of, of the, that part of the industry. Mm. Uh, on the complex end, so the themes and code, it, it's, it's still a mix, but it's more likely that we will have exclusive authors in that case. Well, it's a good proposition, right? I think it's simple, but you get paid more if you're exclusive. It gives you a, a better relationship and a better partnership to want to, you know, do the right thing by each other. Give us access to your exclusive content and um, we can promote you and we can do all the things um, that hopefully drives revenue for you at the end of the day. Um, on that innovation front, having consulted with, you know, lots of marketplaces in, in my time, I find the biggest hurdle is understanding what customer centric means. I've seen in many boardrooms, spoken to many CMOs who all say the word, you know, customer centric is actually the buyer. It's not the seller um, or company. Uh, the business is, uh, the, sorry, the customer centricity is actually the seller, not the buyer. Is it the businesses selling the products or is it the consumers purchasing the product that is in your mind Underlying, underlining that customer centricity, like how do you balance the two? Because they're very different audiences, right? Yes, they are. They, they certainly are, and it's a really good question. And uh, the short answer is that it's always a balance. So we think of these things as a, as a flywheel effect, whereby uh, you generate more great content to sell. That's sold to customers who want it. Mm. That generates, uh, that means more value is generated for authors or creators of content. They see that financial incentive 
and then they create more content around around, around you go. Mm. The to go into that in a little more detail, I think it shifts over time. And in our case, we certainly had a lot more focus on the supply side in the early days because when we were trying to establish ourselves in these markets with a marketplace, you're effectively relying on the network effects associated with bringing on board lots of authors or suppliers or sellers in order to be able to establish establish yourself as a platform that's the go-to for customers. That's, mm -hmm. that's your aim. And that you must sort of meet a critical amount of content or a critical amount of traffic or a critical amount of inertia to make sure that you're able to get that flywheel to continue to grow the business, grow the size of the flywheel. Mm. As you scale up though, and you're into that kind of growth phase uh, or maturity phase, uh, the attention needs to swing more to the buy side. And the reason for that is that you're trying to continue to attract more buyers. You now have enough suppliers of content, but you're trying to attract more and more buyers to that content. And you're, and you're trying to defend your market position by ensuring that those buyers don't go to other parts of the other competitors effectively. And so you're left with a situation where your, your internal focus or your customer centricity becomes much more towards the buy side because ultimately that's how you deliver the best results for everybody. Um, at scale, there's enough revenue there to make sure that authors are all very happy and they will continue to come to your platform if you can maintain the scale on the buy side. Yeah, it's a simple, yeah, mate, you've articulated that really well. That first phase of if you don't have authors, you have nothing to sell. So that's your primary focus, right? Getting that content, getting that, that, that product to market. And then once you've built that momentum and you're in, you know, in that kind of growth phase, shifting the focus and making sure the experience and that those, those sellers, are, those buyers are, are, are getting the most value out of what you're presenting to them and, and articulating that. It's, it's very, very similar to a lot of industries. If I think about it, um, you look at media and publishing companies, they are making, a, since the death of newspapers, right, they've had to find new commercial models and it's in paid ads. So I'm, you know, selling ads to partnerships who are being targeted to this pool of customers. Um, that I'm trying to target with, with that respective ad. You think of REA, you think of car sales. It's the same thing. Their product or their asset is, is a physical good, like a car or, or a house. And then you've got the buyers who are interested in putting in all their search criteria to find the right house or to find the right car and they connect the two. Um, it's a balance. So, yeah, the flywheel example is great. I actually may um, put a link to that example that you've, been, that you've shared with me. Um, I think it's really useful when you want to innovate though, right? How, when you want to stay innovative and present, you know, more, you know, uh, relevant products and, and drive the next horizon of the marketplace, how do you conduct that market research? And do you speak with both sides of that flywheel or just when particularly one? You, you've literally used our internal language horizons. And there you we go. Do, we do think <laughs> of it in that way. Yeah. Um, the, 
the way that our market is evolving is that there are content players, there are tooling and tooling providers, and there's a balance to be struck between consuming content inside of tooling and knowing how to use the tooling, the professional tooling, and just wanting to find the best quality content to use with it. So, and that will depend on whether you're typically, whether you're a professional user, someone's using it for the purposes of their profession, or someone who is just trying to create something that's cool or creative or playing around, experimenting, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, for us to stay in front of the game, we've been constantly launching what we we deem to be small scale experiments, but in, in actuality, it depends on your version of small. We, we have uh, dedicated teams that go out and build new products regularly and then go to market and actually try and test them at a relevant scale. So we found that talking to customers and talking to our authors gives you a lot of information on where to look, mm. but not necessarily all of the information you need on how to commercialize. That's right. And thankfully we've been in a position where we've had the funds available to launch and learn. So um, bring together small teams, we call it speed boating, <laughs> uh, put out our speed boats, test those waters, see what comes back. And the aim being to, to fail fast, mm. regularly push the boundaries, learn as much as possible. If it's not going to, to work, learn that in six months, close it down, go on to something else. Start the yeah. next project, the yeah. next speedboat. The next speedboat. Now, interestingly, um, there's two parts to that. One, speedboats, if they're not um, sent out on the right foundations or the idea was a bit off or the the economics of the idea were a bit off to begin with, rarely succeed. And they're also highly susceptible to the team that launches them. So you do need to be very, very conscious from a, say, a GM perspective about who's launching it, what their incentives are, what they're trying to achieve, both as an individual and as a team, making sure that you've got the right skill sets and capabilities in that team in order to be able to deliver on. And I was being very specific with my wording before about a viable test at scale. Mm. Um, often we've either sent out, I'll keep using the speedboat analogy. <laughs> we, we send out a speedboat and it might get two years down the track and we think it's, it's all good and it's really, really going to, to head in the right direction but we try and then scale that into the next phase and it completely falls over. Got it. So that would be an example of a speedboat not being tested at appropriate scale. Mm. Mate, it's fascinating. I, um, I, yeah, I'm going to use my buzzword for the podcast, but I uh, studied design thinking and the whole premise of design thinking is what you were just outlined. It's speaking to your audience and empathizing around what products they would be 
after? Or how do we make this service more efficient? So you look at the first thing being desirability of the product. You then go into your next phase of the project and figure out um, feasibility. Is it, um, is it possible to do this within the attained budget that you've set out? Is it going to be profitable? And then is it viable? Well, is it then physically possible to roll this out technically and scalable what you've just outlined? And you mentioned fail fast and, you know, um, you used another term. I can't remember what it was, what it was, but it was around that same, same concept of, you know, learn quickly and fail fast. And to have a team dedicated to do that, a lot of organizations have, you know, tried to think like product marketers and product organizations now in banking and, and retailers to, to be that nimble and roll out proof of concepts. So it's great to see that you guys, uh, you guys are still heading in that direction and not sitting stagnant and thinking, you know, we own this, we own this part of the market. There's no need to, to keep innovating that you keep investing. Yeah, no, we've been very lucky. We've got a founder group who are very keen on launching new products. And the other thing that I think is, is pretty critical to that success or the, the testing component is that we've always kept the experiment speedboats uh, close to the founders so that, there is um, no limited opportunity for mixed message to come in uh, between the layers of an organisation. So we try and put quite good decision makers and, and senior people in to lead these parts of our market research and innovation pushes and with the intent that they can communicate directly with GM CEO and get decisions made in short turnaround so that they can continue to push forward or in some cases not push forward and, and make mm. decisions to close. Yeah. That's the tough conversation. Uh, I've been on that, been on that side. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's good. You learn, you learn a lot from it. Um, mate, thanks for being so open. We're coming towards the end of the podcast as a couple of final questions that I have for you. Um, out of everything we've discussed today, what is, what is the one skill that you think marketers need to take away? I have spent the last seven years specifically looking at how digital goods marketplaces work and how the economics work around digital goods. And it's quite distinctly different to physical goods. And I've seen a lot of people fall in the trap of trying to apply logic and modeling and marketing principles from a physical goods world into a digital goods world. And uh, create some distortions that I th think, well, I hope is I certainly I try and correct it over time with people as I talk through how these this industry works. Mm. There's a good book called um, Information Rules by Carl Shapiro. Uh, it was actually written in 1999. Wow! So starting to starting to age in 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 terms of how this industry has progressed, but the fundamentals are still very sound. Uh, and it's actually really interesting to me that someone could write a book back then that so universally applies now to the digital goods industry because mm -hmm. the fundamentals are still the same fundamentals. What was and he referring to when he was talking about understanding the economics of digital goods in 1999? Mate, this, what a legend. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive. It, yeah. It's just someone who who saw this industry coming. They They... 
started looking at the um, music industry Got and it. how that was starting to evolve. MP3s. Yep. Yep. And how that was starting to go and then went, hang on a second. In particular, and we've talked about it already, the the cost of distributing these goods is very, very close to zero once you have that digital good available and in your on your server. And that fundamentally changes all of the ways that you think about how you might sell this good, which is kind of core to the to the book. That's amazing. I have to I have to check that out. The most fascinating thing was when I saw a study around MP3s that showed um, a lot of people thought, no, this will never take off because of sound quality. Because in order to get a song into three megabytes, it's never going to compete with a CD or a record player. But the reality was convenience trumped any of that. <laughs> if people were just wanted more music in their pocket and not needing to carry around this, this record player. So um, the two are probably have some, some level of synergy, I suspect with the convenience of digital goods and the profitability. So um, yeah, great. I'll have to have check that book out. So my last question for you is uh, it wouldn't be a podcast without buzzword bingo. What's your favorite buzzword of 2020? Uh, look, it, it's obviously a very challenging environment at the moment, but internally in the business, we're talking a lot about magic and it seems to be coming up all over the place uh, in, in some strange situations too, but uh, <laughs> at the coffee shop, I know. But definitely someone order yeah, absolutely. The, um, no, there's, there's this sense that um, with such a complex and, and wild external environment that we need to bring back the magic that we need to be aware of creating magic that, uh, we need to find little things that we can celebrate along the way, something that's special. Uh, and that's, that would, that's become something um, quite prevalent in, a, in at least in our business in the last little while. Make the magic happen. Well, mate, you, you, uh, Invado is one of those tech unicorns, mate. So uh, I wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me that you guys are throwing around the word magic in there. Um, amazing. Look, that's it. That's a wrap. Um, thank you so much, mate. You've, uh, you've given us and shed some light in your experience over the last seven years in working in a high speed industry uh, an Australian business in Vardo and uh, some of the, the, the knowledge that you just presented around, you know, the benefits and, and the way that you structured your, your organization and how you innovate consistently and meet the market demands is great. So appreciate your time. I'll let you get back to your afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Take care, mate. Cheers.